I'm reading from the first chapter of the Gospel according to St. John, beginning at the first verse. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. One of the great mysteries for people who reject the existence of God is the origin of the universe. How did all of these planets, stars, and galaxies come to be? We are told that there was a Big Bang, but there are still some mysteries about the Big Bang that some scientists have difficulty explaining. Where did the matter or energy that caused the Big Bang originate? Scientists still debate concerning the origin of matter or if matter is eternal. Was there a time when there was absolutely nothing? Some scientists are endeavoring now to prove that nothing could produce something. If the origin of the universe is a great mystery, so is the origin of life as we know it. If there had been nothing but planets and stars, the universe would still be an amazing mystery. But that one of these planets could produce the life forms that we see all around us is perhaps an even greater mystery. Even an atheist like Richard Dawkins admits that we should not be here. The odds are astronomical that a universe could actually come into existence and then that this universe could be so ordered and accidentally produce a planet that would generate plants and animals. But the scriptures take a simple approach to the creation of the universe and life. God is eternal, and he created the universe. Last time we saw something of the mystery of the Holy Trinity when the Apostle John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We find as we read through this Gospel of John that this Word is Jesus. The Son has an eternal existence which he has enjoyed with the Father, without beginning or end. Furthermore, this word is God. So scripture teaches the eternal deity of Jesus Christ. He was with God, and at the same time, he is God. But we also saw God created the universe through his son. Jesus is God's creative word. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. The apostle Paul explains in Colossians 1, 15 through 17, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things and by him all things consist. Were it not for our Lord Jesus Christ, nothing would have been made. And if he did not hold all things together at the present time, everything in the universe would fall apart. The Christian affirms not only that God created everything that exists, but also that God brought all things into existence through his eternal son. Not only did God create the universe through Jesus, but John also affirms that Jesus is the source of all life that we find in this world. 
for in him was life. If God had done nothing but create the inanimate universe, it would have been glorious. But on the third day, God created plant life. On the fifth day, he created all kinds of animal life. Then, of course, on the sixth day, he created man in his own image. Again, scripture affirms that Jesus is the source of this life, for in him was life. Life has resided from all eternity in our Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Holy Trinity. Jesus said in John 5, 26, For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself. When Jesus says that the Father has given to the Son that he might have life in himself, we're not to think that there was a time in the distant ages past that the Son did not have life in himself. No, the Son always had life in himself, just as the Father did. But as John William Bergen explained in his book, A Plain Commentary on the Four Holy Gospels, written in 1856, both the Father and the Son have the same life. Both have it in themselves, both in the same degree, as the one, so the other. But only with this difference. The Father from all eternity giveth it. The Son from all eternity receiveth it. As Matthew Henry said, all living creatures have their life in him. Not only all the matter of the creation was made by him, but all the life too that is in the creation is derived from him and supported by him. So whatever kind of life we might find in this universe, whether it is the life of angels, plants, animals, human beings, or the life of souls. Jesus is the cause of it all. Jesus is the agent through which God brought all things into existence. Since the gospel plainly teaches that Jesus is the eternal God through whom all creation and all life come into being, many people reject the Christ of Scripture. Oh, if you present Jesus to them as a great teacher, a great moral example to follow, a pacifist preaching peace, a revolutionary liberator who came to free people from economic and political oppression, some people might be able to accept him in that way. But when you say that he is the eternal God, responsible for the creation of the universe and all life we find or may find in it, then people refuse to accept this Jesus. But the proclamation of the church is that Jesus, the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity, is the source of life. Now, there's some debate among theologians concerning whether the life that is mentioned here is physical life or spiritual life. The answer, of course, is that our Lord Jesus is responsible for the presence of life in any form, whether it's physical or spiritual. But there can be no question that the primary focus of John's gospel is spiritual life. This word life is very important to him. The word life is found 54 times in the Gospel of John and the first epistle of John. Though this word life is used many times in the New Testament, around one-fourth of all the references to life are found in the writings of John. Even in the book of Revelation, we have the crown of life, the tree of life, the book of life, the spirit of life, the water of life, and the river of life. John's writings are filled with life, especially spiritual life. John presents Jesus, the eternal word, 
who becomes flesh in order that he might give life, real life, spiritual life to the world. It is so very important for the church to preach Jesus as the life because the world does not realize why Jesus came into the world. The fact that John emphasizes that Jesus came to give us life means that we are not alive apart from him. The truth of the gospel is that human beings are spiritually dead. Every human being born since Adam, other than our Lord Jesus Christ, has been born spiritually dead. To be spiritually dead means that we have no fellowship and communion with God. Before we fell into sin, we had this fellowship with God in the garden. But when Adam sinned, that fellowship was broken and we died. The apostle teaches us the same thing about our spiritual condition when he writes in Ephesians 2, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Jesus came into this world to raise us from the dead, to give us a life of fellowship with God, and only he can impart this life to us, for this life resides in him, and only he can communicate that life to us. This life can be received by us only through believing in Jesus Christ. Until we believe in him, we're dead. Jesus said in John 6:53, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Jesus came into this world for one reason, to give us life. He went to the cross and died in our place in order that we might have life. The only way that we can receive this life is by believing that he is the son of God, by believing that the son of God went to the cross so that his body could be pierced and his blood spilt. If we come to him believing that the only way we can have life is through the death of Christ on the cross, then life is imparted to us. We read in John three thirty six. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. There, once again, we see the connection between believing and life. This life comes only through believing in Christ, but if we do not believe, we do not even see life. We have no knowledge of life. The wrath of God abides on us. The wrath of God abides on us because we're born in sin, living in rebellion against God. But if we believe in Jesus Christ, believe that he bore the wrath of God on the cross for our sins, then the wrath of God is removed and we can live in loving fellowship with him. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death 
unto life. That is our condition. It's a condition of death. But if we believe on him, we pass from death unto life. Jesus went on to say, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. When we believe in Jesus Christ, a resurrection takes place. As we sing in the hymn, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, he speaks and listening to his voice, new life the dead receive. Again, you see, it is through his word, his speaking, that his life, the life of the word, his very own life, the life that he had from all eternity is imparted to us. Before we hear the voice of the Son of God, we are in a spiritual grave with no life in us. But when we hear his voice, when we believe, we are raised from the dead to have fellowship with God. You can have this life right now. You don't have to wait until you get to heaven to experience it. You can experience eternal life now. Eternal life is not simply living forever. Eternal life is a kind of life, a quality of life, real life. When a person believes in Jesus for the first time, he's truly alive. For Jesus, life himself, comes to take up residence in our lives. In 1 John 5, 11 through 12, we read, and this is the record, that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. It makes perfect sense that whoever has the Son has life because life is in the Son. To have Him is to have life. Thus, the only question that matters is, do I have the Son? We have the Son if we believe in Him. When you believe in Christ, life is imparted to you from the very source of life, Jesus Christ Himself. Then you will know what it truly means to be alive. Most of the billions of people on this planet are spiritually dead. They're not really living. They're only existing. There's a difference between living and existing. I think that many of us during the lockdown felt as though we were existing, but we were not really living. Being shut in our homes, not able to do the things that we love and enjoy. In one sense, we were alive. But were we really living? This is the way it is for all those who are outside of Jesus Christ. They are existing, but they're not really living. Sadly, most of the billions on this planet are merely existing, just surviving, and they are content with that existence. All they want is just enough to make it through another day. Just give them enough money, enough food, a roof over their head, a few trinkets and pleasures here and there, and they're satisfied. But there are others among us who want more than that. We want to be alive, truly alive. We have seen through all that the world offers to us as the source of real life. How many different ways has the world filled in this blank? Where there's blank, there's life. And over the centuries, we have put just about everything you can imagine in that blank. Where there's love, there's life. Where there's sex, there's life. Where there's fun, there's life. And people have tried it all, and still there's this gnawing feeling that there must be more to life than this. And there is. Where there's Jesus, there's life. And it exists nowhere else. When you come to know Christ, you know what it is to be alive. 
The great evangelist George Whitfield was so energetic and had such a passion for his ministry that Spurgeon once wrote of Whitfield, Often as I have read his life, I am conscious of distinct quickening whenever I turn to it. He lived. Other men seemed to be only half alive, but Whitfield was all life, fire, wing, force. Now that's the way I want to live, to be all life, fire, wing, force, a force of nature as it were. Of course, the greatest example of that is our Lord Jesus Christ himself. Once he began his public ministry, he was a dynamo, going everywhere, preaching, healing the sick, casting out demons, raising the dead. And though his public ministry lasted only about three years, the last verse of John's gospel reads, And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Now that's life. That's really living. And it's that kind of life that Christ imparts to his people. Oh, we've reduced the Christian life to such a small, insignificant thing. We think the Christian life is spending a few minutes each week in church, and then we can get on with the business of living. We think it's a few moments of a quiet time in the morning. No, real life begins here in the presence of God. Worship is really living. And when we come here, we're energized to go into the world and do all the good works which he has ordained that we should walk in. This is the romance. This is the adventure of the Christian life. We never know what God is going to do with us. We never know where he's going to lead us. We never know what new vistas are going to open up before us just around the next bend. But we know that by living in fellowship with God through Jesus Christ, it will be life, real life. For that life, that source of life, Jesus Christ is living in us. Spurgeon once said, that people who live only for the things of this world are like squirrels in cages. And each day their wheel revolves. It is the only world they know. Jesus Christ has come to give his people a wider, broader life than this. Spurgeon talks about the great men of the world who map out the stars and fathom the sea. They read the mysterious story of the rocks and of the ages past. They are deep in philosophy and force their way into the secret chambers where the immature principles of things are nestling. They have a life which is bounded only by time and space. But beloved, when Jesus comes, he enlarges the sphere of the most capacious mind and makes the greatest intellect to feel that it was but cabined, cribbed, and confined until he set it free. Beyond time and space does Jesus lead us. The life which he has given us has been tossed upon the stormy sea of sin and has descended into the deeps of the tremendous ocean of terror. We have been like Jonah at the bottom of the mountains where the earth with her bars seemed about us forever. The grace of our pardoning God has now set us on a rock and given us to behold the paradise of pardon. What a blessed thing it is to be forgiven, to be dear to the Father's heart and to feel the Father's kiss. This is a new world to us, to live as they live, who live at home with God, to see his smile and feast upon his love. This is a life of no mean small dimensions, for we dwell in God and are in fellowship with the infinite. We're no longer shut up in self, 
but we hold conversation with the spirits before the throne of God and commune with all the saints redeemed by blood. Now we have seen those mysteries which were before hidden from our eyes, the path which the eagle's eyes have not seen, we have gazed upon, and the way which the lion's whelp has not tread, we have traversed. We have entered into the mysteries of the invisible and have stood within the veil. We were as little birds within their shells, but the Lord has broken our prison and his spirit has led us into all truth and shown us that which was hid from ages and from generations. In this sense, we have life more abundantly. Permit me to read just a little further in this sermon by Spurgeon because he says it in a way that I never could. But he says, now when is a man most alive? Some are so alive when they are in determined pursuit of a favorite purpose. They have formed a resolution and they mean to carry it out. You can see their whole man pressing forward upon the track, all aroused and full of eagerness. Now the Lord Jesus has furnished us with a purpose which is sure to stimulate us to energetic life. For the love of Christ compels us. He has given us a motive and an impulse which we cannot resist. And we are in covenant with him that we will glorify his name as long as we live. We are solemnly resolved and earnestly set to seek his honor. This gives intensity to life, which increases its abundance by awakening it all. A man is said to be full of life when he is worked up into excitement and living with passion. Enthusiasm is life effervescing, life in volcanic eruption where there is determined resolve. If you awaken the man by opposition, you will see his whole life come into action. He was quiet enough before, but you have awakened the lion in him. His life was slumbering at ebb. Now it is dashing up at flood. The man is carried right away. In his look and speech, he is all alive. And in his actions, he is energetic to the last degree. Our divine master has awakened the flame of our life by inspiring us with the glorious passion of love to him. This provides us with stimulus and impetus. A heart which is wholly surrendered to the love of Jesus is capable of thoughts and deeds to which colder souls must forever be strangers. Energetic, forceful, triumphant life belongs to souls enamored with the cross and espoused in ardent love to the heavenly bridegroom. This life that Spurgeon describes so eloquently is true life. This is real life. This is the abundant life that Jesus came to bring. This is the life that has eternally existed within himself, which he imparts to all those who believe in him. Spurgeon's description seems to be a far cry from the life of the average Christian, but it should not be so. John says in him was life, and he who has the Son has life. The Christian has been raised from the dead. He has life. He sees things he has never seen before. He loves with a supernatural, passionate love, a love that's been shed abroad in his heart by the Holy Spirit so that we can love others as he loved them and have this passionate desire that people everywhere would know this life that we have and enjoy. Like travelers through the vast reaches of space, we make new discoveries every day of the breadth and length and depth and height and knowing the love of Christ which passes knowledge. We are not envious of the minds of those who have made the greatest discoveries through exploration and scientific discoveries, for we have entered and seen the eternal world, the world of the heavenly Jerusalem, the company of angels, the world of just men made perfect, the world of Jesus, our mediator, and the world of God, the judge of all. That is the life that Jesus has given us. 
A life that sees all these things and can explore them infinitely and eternally. When you realize that this is the life that Christ came to give us, you can understand why the scriptures describe those who are living for the things of this world as dead. They have no life in them. How about you? Do you want to continue merely existing day by day or do you want to be alive? Do you want to live for the things of this world which will grow old and decay and which you must certainly lose? Or would you like to live for those things which are pure, holy, beautiful, and will never disappoint or disillusion? Do you want a life that will fill you with vibrant energy and purpose, a purpose that it will take eternal ages to fulfill? Do you want a life where you can explore the love, grace, and majesty of the eternal God throughout all ages? Do you want a life that will fill you with vibrant energy and purpose, a purpose that will take eternal ages to fill? If that is the life you want, believe in Christ. Receive him as your Lord and Savior, and you will have this life. From all eternity past, it could be said, in him was life. And it's still true. He is still the source of all life. Receive him and receive life. Amen.